1: This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out CiderWeekNYC.com.
2: Hey, 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 this is Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. We recorded a special cider show for Cider Week NYC, and you're going to listen to it live on Heritage Radio Network.
1: I'm Erica White, host of Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn.
2: Hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. This is a special show. It's uh, September 2015. We're sitting with the guys from New Holland Brewing and Artisan Spirits from Michigan. They're in New York City for Whiskey Fest, which is pretty cool. It's happening today. And this this show will air sometime in, in the fall of 2015. Thanks to our sponsors, Union Beer Distributors, suppliers of world-class ales and spirits, which is kind of a, a, a cool thing that we're able to talk about beer and spirits now with a, a lot of the brewers and the reps that we know, we got Stephen Villan. Stephen, how are you, buddy? Doing great. How are you? This is, is kind of our fall co-host from uh, Brooklyn Brew Shop. And uh, guys, introduce yourself. So this is the team from New Holland Artisan Spirits.
3: Uh, Rich Blair, uh, sales manager, national sales manager with the company. Been with the company for about seven years now. Uh, heading up the spirit side of everything that we do. So looking forward to the show, Jimmy.
2: And we've had you on before, you know, you're, so you're the national rep, right? You're traveling the country.
3: Yep, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I was on the show once before, uh, about a year or so ago, I believe it was, and had a really good time. It was uh, beer-centric spirits, and we do some, some pretty cool things. The brewery influences uh, what the distillery does in a pretty big way, so that was a really good time on the show a little while back.
2: And we're recording at Jimmy's number 43 in the East Village, so you're going to hear sirens and <laughs> horns going by. And this is actually the day the Pope's coming to New York. If you remember that, by the time this airs, but and you guys, tell, tell us your names yeah, too. Yeah, uh, my name is Adam Dickerson, and I,
4: I work alongside Rich on the spirit side at New Holland. Um, been with the company for about three years. Uh, was doing was our events manager, got a really awesome gig planning all the festivals and uh, sponsorships and promotions around the country for for New Holland for a while, and then decided uh, really wanted to start working directly on the spirit side. Had a real passion for for what we produce and. Think we have a great product, so I um, was able to switch over to the spirit side, working alongside Rich, and I handle the Midwest for for spirit sales um, and marketing and all that. So um, able to cover my you know, my homeland, Michigan, and the surrounding states that are. Uh, you
2: guys Indiana. You both from Michigan?
3: Yep, both uh, Michigan natives, and uh, be the first time we've really let this secret out of Holland. But uh, Adam is moving to the east side of the country to take over. Uh, some stuff that's happening out here. So we're losing him back home. and He's going to come out and uh, do some good work out here with you folks.
5: Yeah,
2: currently well, you guys, still in Michigan. Though, you but, brought along
5: Joe, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm um, Joe Stellmark. I'm the Northeast, soon to be just mid Atlantic um, regional manager for New Orleans. So I focus on beer, but I also sell beer and spirits out here. Uh, Adam's going to come in and um, take over Massachusetts, so I'll just cover New Jersey. Um, Pennsylvania and New York City.
2: So let's talk about breweries making spirits. So New Holland did it start as a brewery?
3: Yeah, we actually started making beer in uh, 1997. So this past summer in June we celebrated 18 years which is a pretty big feat um, you know for a small regional brewery like us. And then in uh, 2005 we started distilling. Uh, back then, the laws were a little bit different, so it was mostly brandies, and we just played around with some things like that. Uh, in '08, we started making you know, rum from molasses and cane sugar and whiskeys, and we really stretched our legs at that point. And that's when I came on board and, and got behind the program uh, from a national standpoint. So uh, yeah, it started as a brewery. It influences a lot of what we do on the distillery side, and I think you can see that in, in our stuff. You know, we're going to taste some whiskeys today. Uh, you can see the fermentation and the, the approach to beer and how clean it is. Uh, and we drink a lot of a lot of beer in the making, and then a lot, a lot of whiskey afterwards. Quality check. Yeah, yeah quality exactly. Check. You know, what's, exactly. it's
2: funny is that like when we have a lot of these shows. Like I know Steven is a home brewer and has his brew kits, mm-hmm. but there's a dirty little secret that you know you can't distill at home, so you really technically can't get practice without being a pro, right? Uh, there is truth <laughs>
3: to that, but uh, it's amazing how many times I'll be at like at Whiskey Fest tonight. We'll have a really good time. I guarantee you that several people will come up and start asking questions, and about 30 seconds in, they'll realize I'm not going to rat them out, and they start talking about their system at home. So a lot of people are doing this, whether we like it or not. So uh, we just try to keep everyone safe and have, have fun while we're doing it. But, yeah, a lot of that stuff does happen at home.
2: So I guess I'm wondering, how, how, do, how do people get trained in, in distilling in this country?
3: Uh, there are some uh, programs, and because Craft Spirits have taken off the way that it, that it has, uh, some universities have actually picked up on this, too. So like Michigan State University in East Lansing in Michigan, uh, they have a craft distilling program, and they've had it for a few years. So you can go train there. Uh, a lot of people with a chemistry background. We're finding a lot of people uh, from like, the uh, pharmaceutical industry are distilling in that uh, genre and they're getting a little bored with it. They want to be more artistic, so they you know branch out, throw their life savings into a beautiful pot still, and start making uh, making spirits, which is a little more rewarding. I think is, is why they're they're making that leap. And then there's there's the art side of it too, that a lot of people uh, just love really really nice whiskey, want to be part of that world, and jump into uh, distilling for that reason.
4: And there's also the, the American Distilling Institute, which we are mm-hmm. uh, you know great. We support that. Uh, that organization as much as we can, but Bill Owens is the director of the American Distilling Institute and they have books and uh, publications on on how to distill. Um, So people take those books and we know a lot of people, especially, you know, we have a lot of friends in Michigan who are opening distilleries and they come and learn from us a little bit and then they realize um, they want to do it themselves. They buy all the equipment and then just trial and error. They figure it out as they go. Uh, That's why you know, the quality of craft spirits in the country are only going to get better as uh, people continue that trial
2: and error method. Well, let's, let's taste and talk to you. So what is this first first spirit you're pouring?
3: So this is beer barrel bourbon. It's uh, currently probably the best example of how the brewery and distillery are so related. So uh, we're probably best known for Dragon's Milk, which is a big 11% uh, bourbon barrel-aged stout. Uh, we make quite a bit of this beer, and we have a lot of these barrels. Uh, once we pull the beer out of these, these you know, ex-bourbon casks, we weren't exactly sure what to do with them. So we had the bright idea of putting some bourbon back in this cask. So it's fully aged, uh, you know, traditionally. It tastes great before it goes in the barrel. And then we put it in a dragon's milk cask, and it just becomes something completely different. It's it's beautiful whiskey, and really related to uh, to, to dragon's milk. You can taste that that malt backbone uh, in a bourbon, which makes it pretty unique, and so, it's it's delicious. We drink far too much of this, <laughs> of this whiskey. <laughs> yeah. and so for, exactly. for the industry,
2: um, before we talk about this, there's things like whiskey Fest. You know, is that one of the better? whiskey events in the country i
3: would say yes whiskey fest is is great we've uh, been going to the one in chicago for years now and this is the first time that we've made the trip out east to go to the one in new york uh i've heard it described with a few um not safe for radio words so <laughs> i feel like uh tonight's going to be a really uh fun learning experience people drink a lot and then go out afterward and have a, a you know nice time together they're uh the liquid courage is in, in, in abundance, I guess I would say. So, um, Whiskey Fest is one of the greats. And then, uh, in addition to that, there is Tales of the Cocktail in New Orleans. That's a, you know, even for whiskey and not just cocktails, that's a great one. Uh, Marty Duffy, who um, is based in Chicago, and he's a uh, global uh, ambassador for Glen Cairn, the, uh, the whiskey glass, he also helps put on these Indie Spirits Expos, and there uh, may be seven or eight of those around the country. I know he has one in New York in the spring every year. Awesome guy, puts on a really good show. It's inexpensive to get into, so it's it's a ton of
2: fun. Let's let's taste this. So this is the New Holland Artisan Spirits Beer Barrel Bourbon. Who wants to tell me what I'm tasting? Because, I mean, you know I'm not used to tasting spirits compared to beer, you know? I taste alcohol.
4: So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, most often you taste bourbon and you uh, immediately get a big, bold sweetness that we in america tend to really latch on to we love it it's not overly sweet and, sh- and syrupy but it's just a really um kind of that that corn sweetness that we're all familiar with that you know our grandparents were drinking with iced tea when we were growing up and you took a little sip out of the glass and now you you go back to it and you love it but you have that in beer barrel bourbon but it's balanced really well with the barrel finishing of the of dragon's milk barrels you get some of that malt sweetness out of the barrel you get some vanilla you get some some caramel and some of those flavors from dragon's milk that really blend and and, and mingle with the, the flavors of the corn sweetness and uh, the original mash bill. Uh, so it, it really is a, a blend of uh, flavors that we really, really like. Um, you know, it I'm was, yeah, very smooth and mellow and easy to drink. And it just kind of rolls off your tongue without any bite and any big. Uh, Stephen,
6: have you
2: tasted milk, a lot of spirits?
6: I, I, I dabble in the spirits, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is really smooth. You, you do get some malt character, which <coughs> I was uh, a bit a bit surprised uh, from, from tasting it, really. Uh, you mentioned the mash bill. As brewers, I'm wondering if you play around with that a bit more than the typical bourbon maker. Certainly. Um, you'll see that in some of the other whiskeys
4: we're going to taste today, but uh, we have access to really high-quality barley as a brewery, so we're able to to kind of go over to the brewer's barley area and, and really just kind of um, take what we want and experiment and our distillers, Brad and Ryan, do an amazing job at finding a perfect blend of, of barley and rye and wheat and any of those grains that we use as a brewery and really come up with delicious whiskeys. We have a wheat whiskey that we source all grain from, from Michigan and it's just a really, really unique whiskey with sweetness and spice and a, a really good balance of flavor. So. It's definitely
2: a benefit and a perk of being a brewery and a distillery. So, Joe, you're in. You're selling to accounts. Mm-hmm. How, how do you bring a spirit into account? Let's say a place like Jimmy's Number Forty Three. We, we're known for our craft beer, and then this year we got a full liquor license. Well,
5: I th- I so think So we're
2: trying to meet a lot of the, the new distillers, and definitely interested in breweries that are making spirits. The, I don't really know that much
5: about. Yeah. It. Well, the, the fun part about bourbon is it's kind of turning into um, what what beer lovers are looking for. They're coming in and they want to try this and they want to try the next thing and they want to try the next thing it's not um the Brit the brand loyalty that we used to have like when you would go home and your dad or your grandpa would drink the same whiskey for 40 years straight like that is changing um and so when you go in and now you go in you'll see there'll be back bars that are filled with 40 or 50 or more whiskeys uh bourbon scotches and what have you and so when we come in um having an opportunity to be part of those 40, 50 bottles, but then also having the beer side of things is, you're familiar um, with Dragon's Milk, where you recognize New Holland as a a beer brand, and now we have that, and we can translate it to spirits. Um, This particular, Beer Barrel Bourbon, it's awesome because Dragon's Milk, as our best-selling brand, people are aware of it, they know it, they love drinking it, and to connect the whiskey with the beer, by the fact that they're going into the same casks and the same barrels is is very fun and unique. We have a, we have a couple places that will do a, a dragon's maker or whatnot. And you have a dragon's milk with a side shot of beer barrel bourbon. Um, I suggest only one, but one of those. But, uh, yeah, in an Uber on speed dial. Yeah, an actually. Uber, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just, it's cool with this particular spirit to see the connection between the brewery and, and it helps people make the jump that, you know, we're not just a great brewery, but we're also a great distillery and it also gives name recognition, which, you know, sometimes with 40 or 50 bottles, mm-hmm. how do you make a choice?
3: Well, I think there's another layer to this, too, that uh, craft beer was really on the forefront of convincing people they needed um, to pay attention to ingredients and a little more attachment to the to the uh, producer. And so I think that craft beer was on the leading edge of that. And then we've seen it with cheese and bread and coffee and craft in general, you know, as a, an approach to life has really... Um, Moved forward in the last few years and Crash Spirits is following that same trend but it's going to have a different timeline a different arc than those ones that came first so it's happening much more quickly people are embracing craft spirits much more quickly than it got to the tipping point with craft beer and it's really fun with that being said to have this conversation and you know proudly say we started doing this 10 years ago we have whiskey that is 10 years old that we made so like it or not we're veterans and we're on the front edge of that it's really fun to to be able to say that
2: you know as i'm as i'm tasting new whiskies and american spirits I'm starting to learn that some of them are actually distilled and bottled by the producer and other people are buying a, a, a base. Mm-hmm. And Tell me, how does that, how's that work and how does the consumer know it is one better or the other?
3: Well, it's a really good question. I don't think that has like a black and white answer just yet. Uh, the way that I would answer that personally, and I feel like this represents my company as well, it's just honesty. You know, Be transparent with what you put on the bottle. If it says produced and bottled by... It's most likely sourced whiskey. If it says distilled and bottled by, then it's probably grain to glass whiskey. You know those um, things are on the on the bottle if you look for them, but let's not hide that story. let's let's build the trust with our consumer. And there are some people, and I'll you know name names like Smooth Ambler out of West Virginia. He's one of my favorite examples of he has a lo- uh, a tier of whiskey that he calls Old Scout, and it's very openly sourced whiskey, and he's proud of it. He puts together, he chooses these barrels. Uh, develops the blends, and puts in a bottle. It's delicious, and he's honest about the fact that it's it's uh, it didn't come off of his still. So as long as we, we're transparent in that, then who cares? What's then, in the
2: bottle should taste good. What, what do you say on your bottle?
3: Ours says distilled and bottled by New Holland in Michigan. And that was a change, because when we started the Beer Barrel Bourbon program, we had this great idea, well whiskey doesn't become mature in a weekend when you have this great idea. So we started the program with sourced whiskey, and we were sourcing it from MGP in southern Indiana. And so our first bottles, before we made the switch to to our own grain to glass, it said uh, Indiana bourbon uh, produced and bottled in Howard, Michigan. So we put that right on the bottle. And when people would would call and ask questions, we answered them honestly, because we wanted to build trust, not sneak anything past anyone.
6: And legally, do you have to say... Produced versus distilled, or is it is there trust? What if what if a distillery isn't so trustworthy? Uh,
3: there are some examples of that uh, with with I think skirting the trust, and I don't want to you know name names. I don't think that my business is necessarily to out others. It's just to talk about what we think is the right approach. But if it's uh, you're telling a story on the back of the bottle that says it's this recipe from old grandpa and it's produced in this state, when in reality it's sourced from another state. You can sneak that past the consumer, but it's going to end badly. <laughs> you know, So let's just be honest. Tell the story, not be a marketing campaign, and, and drink good whiskey and drink it together happily.
2: All right. This is a good start. We're talking about a brewery that makes spirits as well on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
7: You're listening to Leaving by Dead Stars. In 1996, El Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit GreatBrewers.com. This is Brooks Headley, the pastry chef at Del Posto in Manhattan, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network.
2: Hey, hey! Welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special show. It's Whiskey Fest today, September 2015. We've got the guys from New Holland Artisan Spirits, their brewery that's also making spirits now for 10 years, and Rich Blair is like the kind of master national guy, and seems to know everything about their product. So. What were you guys talking about? Every time we go off air, Stephen asks a good question.
6: <laughs> I try to get some background.
2: Uh, I was basically just
6: uh, asking about... because um, he, he, uh, Rich mentioned that they use an ale yeast, which made me think, because uh, a lot of distilleries use something called turbo yeast, mm-hmm. which is just to make alcohol as fast as possible, uh, whereas ale yeast is definitely going to take a bit longer and... I guess just want to know why, why you think it's important to do that and, um, versus like a turbo yeast and how that might inform your whiskey. Well, we
3: have found through you know, years of doing this now that using the ale yeast, uh, it does happen much more slowly. It, it's uh, um, it's a, a much slower approach to it. It takes longer. It's, it's more labor intensive. But uh, the alcohol that's produced... Uh, and then some of those byproducts, are the byproducts that don't taste so great are very minimal because it's very thoughtful and careful fermentation. Uh, so then when we put the whiskey, the white whiskey, before it, it goes into a barrel, um, it, it doesn't taste too bad. So when it goes into the barrel, we're not necessarily aging all of these off flavors, these flavors that aren't you know, pleasant. We're not aging those off of the whiskey. We're just trying to pick up those wood flavors from the barrel. So we don't need six or eight years or four or whatever it is um, in the barrel to to taste the way that we want because we're not aging all all that bad stuff off. Honestly, our stuff, we still adhere to the straight rule, which is an American rule, and it's two years um, in cask. We still adhere to that, but after two years, it's beautiful. And so we're not a slave to that calendar beyond two years. Once it's ready and it tastes good, we're putting that stuff into a bottle and drinking it because we want to drink whiskey that we made. We don't want our grandkids to drink it.
2: You guys, you're going to Whiskey Fest tonight. And I think there's 55 of the best whiskey companies in the world. Um, How do you stand out in an event like that? Well, it's
3: funny how it's evolved over the years, because I remember the first Whiskey Fest I went to, and it was in Chicago, and I believe it might have been 2010, but uh, there were only a couple of craft guys. We were tucked away in the corner, we were sharing tables. None of us even had logo tablecloths. We were just, just you know, jalopy in the corner of, of people pouring some, some whiskey that wasn't even ready to drink yet, to be honest. And then over the years, that's changed. Whiskey Advocate and some friends there, love Lou Bryson, who's one of their editors, uh, he's done a good job of telling the story about craft and uh, pouring uh, some whiskey for himself and coming over and giving pointers. And so they've been really supportive. And over the years, we've seen more and more people uh, from companies around the country jumping into craft and doing it really, really well. As that's happened, people like whiskey advocates who run Whiskey Fest, they've started to embrace us more. But they made us earn it, which I think is is fantastic. And there's some great distilleries, uh, Westland out of Washington State. I think we're fantastic. Koval out of Chicago, uh, New York Distilling Company right here, Tuttletown, the Hudson, you know, guys, the Orenzos from right here in New York. There are great distilleries, and that also means great bourbon and great malt whiskey made all over the United States. Um, and Whiskey Fest has been a platform to show those of us that, that take a lot of pride in what we do.
2: So, you know, talking about books and experts, we have uh, Lou Bryson's book "Tasting Whiskey" in front of us, and he's been here to Jimmy's Number Forty Three a couple times, mm-hmm. led some whiskey tastings. What What are some other books that people can learn from if they want to know more about whiskeys?
3: Uh, I think that books are a lot of fun. It gets you a little more comfortable with the terminology. Uh, If you really want to look at the history of whiskey bottles that have been available around the globe, then Jim Murray's Whiskey Bible is fantastic. Uh, Just pick up any any book about whiskey is going to teach you something, but I'd rather pick up a glass. So (laughs) let's drink some whiskey, figure out what you like drink it the way you like as well if you put a drop of water in your whiskey and the person across from you scoffs at you or it's a distiller and he says how dare you put water in my whiskey find someone cooler to drink with because <laughs> as soon as that whiskey is in your glass it's yours I was, I drink like, it the I like way you one like one ice cube yeah one ice cube guys. Perfect. that's perfect However how, how do you it like
2: it Steve? i actually like
6: one ice cube too yeah yeah.
3: It's been proven now that our palates are all different, and if someone is drinking a hundred proof whiskey and they say they're getting all of those flavors, that may very well be true. I don't. I need a little bit of water in my whiskey to pull it down so that the, that that ethanol hit, that heat, uh, is a little bit more subdued, and then you pick up on all of those amazing flavors of you know caramel, vanilla, toffee, butterscotch, all those awesome flavors come through. But at a high proof or right out of the the barrel, not the same.
2: So, so beer and spirits. So let's go back to the history. I've only learned this recently. I didn't know that, that whiskey was distilled beer, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that process. And you talk about you can get the barley from your brewery and, and pick your barley for your, for your spirits. But like, let, let's go to, like, Scotland or something.
3: Okay. Well, actually, I want to tell one very brief story first, that there is a really good friend, uh, Jeff, who, who runs uh, um, Rockford Brewing Company in Michigan, that I made the mistake of telling him that whiskey was beer all grown up, and he's a brewer, <laughs> He didn't take it as well as I had hoped he would take that. He didn't find the humor in in saying beer wasn't quite ready yet. So uh, some people would be offended by thinking that that it begins as beer and then it it turns into something better. But uh, it really is that way as far as what the base ingredients are. The fermentation, all of those things, it's just a couple extra steps after you're finished with the beer. It goes through the distillation process, and then it goes through an aging process if it's, if it's you know brown whiskey. So they are very related, and it's easy. I don't want to say easy. That's not quite correct. But it's not a huge stretch for a brewery to tack on those extra couple of steps and start making, making spirits because it's a natural progression, and some of us do it really, really well.
4: Rich is giving away all our secrets. <laughs> Every brewery is going to start distilling that.
3: <laughs> well, we've had a lot of breweries come check us out, too. Like uh, Sun King in, in Indiana. They they make amazing beer, and they're putting together a program. Mother Earth in North Carolina, they're doing it, uh, getting into it. There's talk of Three Floyds getting into it. Ballast Point has been doing it for a long time, doing it really well. You can't have this conversation without mentioning Rogue or Anchor. You know, There are people that have been doing it for a long time and doing it well. And it's finally the rest of the world is starting to catch up with us. But... We're happy to have a ten-year head start.
2: Let's go to like Scotland. Oh yeah, sorry.
3: <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'll have to be honest. I'm not an expert in in Scotch. I drink a little bit of Scotch here and there, but for the most parts, I drink what my my our company and what my friends make, and that tends to be American craft whiskey. So I tend to drink a lot of that. Uh, if we want to talk about some other American guys, you know, I could probably go in depth with it. But as far as Scotch goes. Honestly, I would probably say Joe. He knows the most at the table, on this end of the table at least, about scotch.
5: I know I know that I like it a lot. Um, there's a lot to go for. But if you're just talking about like, the process of scotch, so what differs, what makes scotch different than, say, a bourbon or an American single malt. Um, there's a lot of legalese going on. It has to be made in Scotland and it's in scotch, all scotch, um, as opposed to bourbon, which is two years uh, made in America. Scotch has to be f- um, three years and a day made in scotland um and i think one of the things that goes with, with scotch and i'm a lot of scots are probably getting really angry at me right now um but there's like four three or four distinct regions that make similar similar tastes uh tasting scotches and and that's all coming from the my favorite word here the terroir so you're getting water and you're getting um malts that are, are are grown in in different areas and those are imparting different flavors onto your scotches. Um, I personally love all scotch that is um, made with smoked barley and then also finished in a sherry cast. So you get that smoked up front rounded off by this like delicious sweet sherry. Um, I'm I'm getting excited just talking about it. (laughs) And most people think, um, you know, your
4: average whiskey consumer, they think scotch and think smoky and peaty and it's going to be really earthy and, um, you know, a flavor that might be, uh, you know, acquired over a long time of drinking whiskey, but there's plenty of great Scotch that isn't unpeated, and the process of peating is they smoke the barley over peat moss. Um, so, there is plenty of unpeated Scotch um, that is delicious. And the only other distinguishing characteristic of a single malt Scotch is it has to be 100% barley, which is very similar to the the product we are about to drink here, is Zeppelin Bend um, from from New Holland. It's a uh, single malt American whiskey. A single malt Scotch is that desired, um, you know, desired term that you want to get to when you're you're making Scotch. There's great blended Scotch whiskeys, but single malt, currently in the world we live in, is that mm. that that type of scotch that uh,
2: people are seeking so out. What are the tasting the notes for this?
3: Well, this, the grain bill, again, you know, i refer to so the brewery quite, quite a bit. straight Zeppelin, malt
2: Zeppelin Bend, straight malt yep. whiskey. Zeppelin
3: Bend is the name of a knot that was used to more airships. And we felt at the time that this uh, whiskey was what tied the brewery and distillery together. So, very drunkenly you know, around that a that campfire, <laughs> we named That's it Zeppelin story. Bend. Yeah, it's a true story, is, I swear. Right. And... We also realize that we need to name things while sober from that point forward because <laughs> not everything needs to have this long-winded story behind it. But uh, So the brewery influenced it quite a bit. Uh, some of the, the grain that we use is heavily roasted, so you get some of those uh, porter and stout flavors uh, in this whiskey, uh, dark chocolate, cocoa, coffee, Uh, Actually, I'll throw out another Whiskey Fest story. That There was this guy a few years ago that he was stumbling out of of the fest, and he came up to our table and asked for another pour of the Cocoa Pebbles whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) I was offended for like a hot second and then I realized that he was coming back for seconds and and he remembered our whiskey and wanted more of it. So it does have that bubble that it does.
5: Yeah, chocolate. yeah. And I've we're really not adding dry, any chocolate
4: like a, you know dark chocolate finish. That's is that, like, that from the malt? Yep yeah, absolutely from malt. Yeah.
3: And I have to also it's it's I think this is funny because Stranahan's is a, a whiskey that, that I've liked for a really long time. It's another malt whiskey, you know, out of Colorado. Uh, Stranahan's and New Holland both started making whiskey within a couple months of each other, completely unaware of each other's company. Very similar malt bill, very similar flavor profile. We age ours a little bit longer, but they're, they're quite similar whiskeys, even down to the shape of the bottle. We were just a couple thousand miles apart, had no idea what the other was doing, and we followed this same path. It's just really interesting how creative people go toward the same finish line not knowing about the other one. It's, it's I have always found that really interesting.
4: Yeah, I was assuming that was
6: just the style of bottle. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that was
4: it 10 years nice. ago, so we actually have one barrel of 10-year-old Zeppelin Bend. Um, I know this uh, isn't going to air until after Whiskey Fest, but those at Whiskey Fest will be able to enjoy a little bit of that 10-year-old whiskey tonight, so um, it's, we have that heritage as a craft distillery, and we're, we're thrilled to try it. None of us at this table have actually tried it yet, so we're uh, going to be trying <laughs> yeah. it for the first time tonight. Yeah, Exactly.
2: And how do I navigate the festival? I'm going tonight. Good. And uh, I'm going to want to go up to your table, and you have secret stashes of of things in the back.
3: That is the going rate, or the the way that things are going now, is that uh, everyone's going to have something under the table. Uh, We like to share. We like to give little sneak peeks of things. Uh, The VIP hour, we'll be pouring some whiskeys that um, once they're gone, they're gone. But uh, the 10-year Zeppelin is just going to be for people in the know. There are a handful of people that I want to try. Obviously, yourself included, Jimmy. We'll we get some 10-year uh, American single malt in your glass. But Lou Bryson, he's going to be around. We've been talking about it. He can't wait to try it. There are a handful of people I want to take care of. And then word will travel, and everyone's under-the-table whiskey will disappear very quickly. New
5: Holland employees also included in these people. But, <laughs> yeah, I would really like <laughs> taste really like, yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
2: You know, this is, as, going back to how you make whiskey... Steven, did you ever think about making a homebrew recipe that would be a beer base for distillers? Uh, I've never
6: made a beer base for distillers, but we often try to uh, think about ways to kind of mimic the, that whiskey flavor. So at home, you might, you know, you can even take oak chips and soak them in a whiskey or bourbon and then add that to your beer. And that's a way that you can make a really quick beer, uh, bourbon barrel aged flavor to a beer. And don't
4: forget to call up
6: your. Uh your local craft breweries—they have barrels
4: that need to find homes sometimes. So you can always find little five, ten-gallon barrels if you look hard enough. So you age your own beer at home, so. Um, it's always a good opportunity.
3: Yeah, actually, it's funny. When I was on your show last time, Jimmy, uh, the BJCP judge that, that was also on the show, within minutes of the show ending, he had sent me an email asking if we had any, any barrels around. And I sent him a couple of gin barrels, and he made some really cool Belgian beer and aged it in a small gin cask. So uh, definitely get a hold of people. If they have a distillery, sometimes they're free, sometimes there's a small price. But we, we want those barrels to get used, not wasted. So like I've put I've some beer in a them.
2: A lot of breweries, like over at Kelso, where our friend Chris Cousme is working, now and kelly taylor they've got a whole bunch of, of just liquor casks
6: yeah and here in the city you can talk to tuttletown they'll help you out with barrels uh, often um king's county distilling in the navy yard will uh, also has a bunch of uh, small barrels and they do small barrels because it speeds up the process oh yeah do you do you guys work with small barrels or do you work with kind we of currently size? um
4: are at a point where we um are not using any more small barrels we have had been until the latest release of our rye which just released and that was the last uh, the last whiskey that we had in, in smaller barrels and i think we actually have a peated whiskey coming out next spring that would be in small barrels but currently we are not laying down any uh, whiskey that is in uh, anything less than a, a traditional 53
6: gallon barrel do you feel like when you get to that point is you know, you've kind of made it being ten years in. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little
4: feeling of success, and we feel like we got our, our uh, big kid pants on now. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we. You know, there's myths out there, and everyone has their own opinion on whether or not the small barrels um, affect the whiskey in a way that's you know as good as a as a larger barrel. And I think it's you know I don't think it's a good, it's a black or white issue, good or bad. I think it's going to affect, give out different flavors. And uh, we were doing it for, for eight minutes, uh, or eight years, so we really enjoyed the product coming awesome, out. Awesome. We're having a
2: great show here talking about beer and spirits on Beer and Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes.
7: This is Superficial Rappers by Rectech.
1: Cider Week helps to bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders.
5: Hi, this is Chad Pagano, former Army sniper, host of the Wild Game Domain, and you're listening to the Heritage Radio Network dot org. Hey, hey,
2: welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is our special beer and spirits show. It's Whiskey Fest in, in New York, and uh, the guys from New Holland Artisan Spirits are here. We're talking about spirits. Um, so, Joe, what did you ask me? He said, "Why do I have so many New York spirits?" Oh
5: no, just as a uh as a regional manager going into a bar, it's my second nature to look at a back bar and to look at a tap list, and I noticed um, that you had almost 100% um, New York tap handles on. Um, so I was just wondering if that was curious. Some people like to just keep it completely local, or if that just happened to happen because there's a lot of really, really good New York beers nowadays.
2: Yeah, I mean that in the spirits, it's, it's it's evolved a lot, so that there are so many great new you know New York brewers and, and distillers that it's it's our backyard, and we're getting to know them well. And um, but when we when we got our full liquor license this year, just want to mention this, which is one reason why we're doing the show is that we didn't have any pressure to. we already been open for years. We have craft beer. We have we have food. So adding the liquor license was really just it was just like a little add on. Mm-hmm. So why not get the best stuff? And you know our mission is always about indie and small. So it, the New York State sub is easy to serve. We're, we're meeting so many new distillers and, and indie guys. And I guess that brings up a whole point. What is indie spirits? Are you guys an indie spirit? I
3: would say that uh, that's another one of those ambiguous terms without a, a, a true definition. But I definitely put us in that, that indie category, that independent. We're independently owned. Uh, we don't adhere to you know specific production guidelines. We're, we're, we try to be artists as much as possible and, and creative and experimental. And... You know, to kind of build on the, the independent thing, we've seen the trend start to move a little bit with this local conversation. Yes, we should all support local, whether it's agriculture or spirits or beer or whatever it is. Supporting local is is a great thing, but we need to challenge local to be great as well. And we're a little bit ahead of it in Michigan because we have two hundred breweries in Michigan now that are members of the Brewers Guild, uh, the Michigan Brewers Guild. So. We challenge each other to be great because just drinking a beer, drinking a spirit because it's made down the street is great as long as they don't take advantage of you and they they Make really good stuff, and we're seeing that trend now, where people are are challenging their local producers to be great. And so it, it's nice to see so much New York stuff, you know, on your tap list over there. And there are some great New York distilleries. I listed some in another segment already. That there, there's some great things being made locally here in New York. You can't say that everywhere in the country. And this is where I need to stop talking.
2: <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Michigan. I, I like. So you guys are where in Michigan? We're in Southwest Michigan, uh, about half an hour
4: half an hour west of Grand Rapids. So Grand Rapids is kind of currently becoming the beer hub of Michigan um, in terms of where it's all being consumed. We um, got some great breweries in other towns nearby. But um, yeah, we're right on the lakeshore, a small Dutch town, Dutch settled. Um, we use a little bit of that heritage in our in our brands and uh, Knickerbocker Gin, for example, is a good example of um, the Dutch settlers and how we how we feel a little bit. Um, entitled to include them in some of our branding, but yeah, it's a small Dutch town, vacation town, really, really great place. Right on the water, you can go to the beach. You can grab some beer and spirits at
2: our so place. It's Hol- Holland, Michigan. Holland, mm-hmm. Michigan. Yeah. So if I go there, are there any destination? beer and spirit places that our listeners should check out when they come to visit you. In Holland? Uh, yeah.
3: Come, come to our pub and get a hold of one of us at this table so we can sit down and have a drink with you. That's probably the so that's the, the best way to, to get yourself. And then go to the beach and go see Lake Michigan. It is beautiful. One of the largest freshwater oceans on the planet. So I would say in Holland the, the big points that people come to see is like Michigan and then in the spring we also have uh, tulip time where we have a million people overtake this little <laughs> town of 30,000 people to come look at flowers. Um, so <laughs> flowers we stay, we stay out of the way <laughs> during <laughs> that week. But, uh, yeah, a lot of cultural heritage, um, a lot of uh, uh, pride and heritage in, in Holland. And I think that shows in a lot of the businesses that are there, too, And whether it's making furniture or whiskey or whatever it is coming out of West Michigan.
4: But we do have a beer trail that runs up the lakeshore. So if you're not going to stay in Holland, you can, you can hit, you know, 30 breweries in a weekend if you want. You have some of the bigger ones to name are, you know, to our southeast, we have Bells, Straight East, we have Founders, up the Lakeshore, up to Traverse City, you have Shorts Brewing Company, and, and tons of great smaller breweries that are popping up along the way. So you will be in no shortage of good
6: beer or spirits nowadays. Have you been out there, Stephen? Uh, no, I haven't spent much time in
2: Michigan, but I'm feeling like I need to. Because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, S- Stephen, one of the books that he wrote, you it was part of your journey as you were learning. About beer, you went to some great breweries around the world, didn't you?
6: Yeah, yeah. We uh, went to yeah, you know, like 30, 30 breweries or so in North America and Europe, and uh, and went completely around Michigan. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> we missed the mitten somehow. The cheers to Michigan! People. So what? What's this next
5: whiskey? So these are some beer that you made, and you liked it so much you distilled this, it. This is a great example of how our our brewery roots can influence some of our um, how we distill and how we approach distilling. Um, And it's our brewer series, which um, we're now in the process of kind of shifting more towards bourbon production at the moment. It was a good way for us to just explore um, different methods. We talked about smaller barrels earlier, um, different ingredients. This malt house, Rich can speak to it, it's literally a, a mash, a mash bill we used for a beer we made. And when we tasted the beer, we just decided, hey, this needs to be distilled.
3: No, that's exactly what happened too. It was a uh, it was called charcuterie, and it was a uh, smoked rye doppelbock. Yeah, Jimmy gets the pun. <laughs> it paired really well with charcuterie. Go figure. Uh, but it was a smoked rye doppelbock, and then we finished that in brandy casks. And when you drank that beer, it just tasted like it wanted to become whiskey. So we made a, an unhopped version of that, distilled it, aged it in new barrels, and that's what became Malt House, which is the the one that we're we're drinking right now. Really nice, ninety proof. Uh, uh, malted rye, uh, malted barley, and uh, some of that barley is smoked. Just this little hint of smoke kind of playing in the background. Really fun whiskey. Uh, in this brewer series, um, Joe alluded to it, but it is on its way out. So we have the rye whiskey is available right now, and then there's another one, a smoked whiskey, coming in the spring, and then it's, that's it. We're making bourbon all day every day because we just don't have enough of it.
6: And one thing I've noticed uh From previous shows, when we're talking beer, we're talking in terms of days, weeks, and months, and we haven't said anything less than years today. How do you, as a distiller, with the mindset of a brewer, uh, keep pushing and experimenting when you just have to wait so long?
3: Well, that's a really good question, and that's why we started with the small barrels, because you get feedback so much quicker. Um, There are two things, to to really oversimplify it, there are two things that happen in that cask. One is the wood uh, interacting with the spirit. So you're influencing the flavor in that way. And the other thing that happens in that barrel is oxidation of that spirit. And that's where you get some of those tropical fruit flavors, stone fruit. You get some of those other flavors that you pick up in whiskey, they come from the oxidation process. That you, there is no way to speed that up. You can speed up the wood interaction, but you can't speed up time and oxidation. So in a big barrel with longer time, you're gonna get more of those secondary flavors that make a whiskey from good to great, in our opinion. In a small cask, you get the wood influence. So you can put something in a small barrel, and then six months later you taste it, and you're like, now I see what's going to happen, and it can graduate to a bigger barrel. So that's the method that we've taken. That is also not meant to say anyone else is doing it incorrectly, but that's the path that we that we went down.
4: Yeah, it takes patience, but we have to be honest. At the end of that time period, that barrel is by no means full. Our our team <laughs> has been tasting it along the way, yes. and it's uh, it's a fun process to watch it change. But yeah, we have the you know, you just have to be patient. You have to be able to let it sit, and you don't want it to uh, you don't want to release it before it's ready. We've had to make that call plenty of times.
6: And being ten years in, I imagine you've made your fair share of mistakes and have a better sense Uh, of... So you've had the house whiskey at our pub in Holland.
3: (laughs) If it doesn't come out as intended, uh, it doesn't hit a bottle. That is incredibly painful. Who drinks
2: the mistakes?
3: (laughs) I have a cabinet at home that's filled with mistakes that uh, I give to unsuspecting guests when they come (laughs) over to my house, and uh, we did find a home for some of that in our house whiskey at our pub, which is still better than most house whiskeys you would have anywhere in the country but it was not quite what we had intended, so it doesn't go into that bottle. But you're right, sometimes when you're creative, it's an expensive and painful result. Um, it doesn't happen often, but it has.
5: And on that point, um, that is actually one of, the, one of the key benefits we've had as a brewery and distillery, is we've, we've been a successful brewery since, you know, for 18 years now, and having distilling being the last 10 years of that, we've, we have room to make mistakes and we have room to wait like there's been you know we've never had the issue where we need to make a revenue goal so we need to put this whiskey that's not ready we have a brewery that's been helping us along the way Um, and And it's led to some great things and it's given us the ability to say, oh, well, that's not good enough for bottle or hey, that that needs to wait another year or another Mm -hmm. six months or what have you. Mm -hmm.
3: The first whiskey we ever released was three years old. And that was for two reasons. One, because we had the ability to be patient. And the other is that uh, the president, founder of our company, the one who got bit by the distilling bug and started the whole thing, he changed the law in 2008. He played a big role in it uh, so that we could begin distilling from grain. To make whiskey. He knew it was going to happen. So the day that law changed, we had three-year-old whiskey because we've been doing it for the past three years. Uh, so it's it's interesting though that the first one we released was three years old. It wasn't six months because the light bill was due. Uh, that is something that I would almost call unfair. As of uh, being affiliated with a brewery, we play by different rules. We source in different ways. It's it's really it made the process. Now, you know, I hesitate to use the word simple, but it did simplify it for us a little bit. It made it much easier, the entry much easier for us.
2: Cheers. So this, this is a great one, House. I, I don't know how you allocate your resources and, and figure out what, what, what you want to sell. I mean, why is bourbon so popular? Like, there's so many, there's people making just a corn whiskey, which is like, what, an unaged bourbon, right? And, or is I'm, that a difference?
4: Well, if it's white, if it, if it if the bottle sits there and you can see through it without any color... That means it's unaged. But you can make a corn whiskey without it being bourbon. What is that? 100 percent corn. right? I believe it is Both just one hundred percent corn. Where a bourbon is, it just has to be over fifty-one percent, and there can be rye, there can be barley in there as well. But a corn whiskey would be one hundred percent corn. Um, but bourbon's popular just because I think um, there's a little bit of nostalgia to bourbon. It's it's that cowboy drinking, you know, liquid that brings you down to your roots, and it's just an American. It's an American drink, you yeah. know, Scotch. Is, Scott, is a Scotch drink, um, you know. We just have a little bit of a tie to that, and it's it can only be made in America, and you know we like to drink what we produce. So I think it's it's in that realm, and and just the craft boom. There's so many different options in, in craft bourbon right now. People want to try it all, and uh, it's a flavor we all like, and I think people just are latching on like like never before. It's crazy.
3: It's interesting too how like craft producers we wanted to make American whiskey. Uh, When you think of American whiskey, you think of bourbon. So we started producing a lot of bourbon. Uh, That nudged our friends in Kentucky to be a little... They they still make 95% of the world's bourbon, and they make some of the best bourbon on the planet. Our friends in Kentucky deserve all the credit in the world. But we also nudged them, and that's that made them start being a little more creative. So that's where Makers 46 came from and Jim Beam and a lot of their craft, signature craft series. And they had to react a little bit to us little guys that were pushing some boundaries and breaking some rules. And then if you look now, um, is it Nika, I think that out of uh, Japan that's making a coffee, grain because they can't call it bourbon so they named it after the pot still the coffee still that we use to make bourbon so as soon as the japanese grab onto bourbon look out they do whiskey really really well so i think they're in turn going to challenge us to continue to get better bourbon is just scratching the surface it's 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 not going to turn and come back down it's riding high right now and it's because it's so delicious
2: let's come back you're in new york city so This winter, I want to go to Destinations, I don't care so much about cocktails, but Destinations Spirits places in New York City, where I can get a a good product like yours. Joe, do you know? Joe
5: Stelmark, the local boy.
2: Jimmy's number 43, we'll we'll probably have some of this. There you go, We're trying to be more spirits, we're not really a cocktail place, we Mm -hmm. have spirits to go with our beer. There's so
5: many great places you can go out there and just find, um, just... um, Back bars filled with Browns. I mean, you just have you go places nowadays, and it's not uncommon for like I said earlier to have fifty plus. Well, where's a few that you, you're
2: you're selling to rock and um, where I can find A or couple were we places last night?
5: that I um I, I live over in Brooklyn, so I end up um, hitting the town over that way a lot. But um a couple places that I found have great cocktails is Bearded Lady, which is over on in Washington in the Prospect Heights Crown Heights um area. Um, Congress made some good cocktails over on Court Street. Um, we went to Clover Club, Park. they had a
0: great
4: back bar full of whiskey yeah. too. Yeah. Um, any that stand out to you, Rich, that you just gotta go to?
3: Uh, I bounce around so much when I come to New York, it's pretty amazing to me, you know, being from the Midwest you have to have a destination bar. You have to pick it out before you drive into that city with some exceptions. I mean, Chicago's a great town. But uh, if you're going to a, a city, you have to know where you're going before you get there. Here, you can find a parking spot and fall down and you're going to have great whiskey within 10 feet of you. Like, it's pretty amazing the concentration of awesome places here in New York. So quite honestly, I don't have... A favorite or any destinations every block has somewhere that's going to blow my mind when I walk in and then I'm going to thank them for having you know our single malt on the back bar it, it, we did that several times yesterday it was, it was a really fun night that didn't seem like it wanted to end
4: yeah but we're sitting here this
3: seems like a great place oh whiskey. yeah for sure looks like some monks have drank whiskey
2: in here at some point and Steven any new favorite place that you like in New York City um, for drinking in general.
6: For drinking in general.
2: I mean, I've just been thinking about how I really
6: like that you now have whiskey here because I whiskey I feel like is something I always want to drink when I'm out, but I just just don't go to that part of the menu. And I'm wondering how you necessarily, I think it's almost like a, ordering a latte versus getting someone to order the espresso. Like mm-hmm. how do you get someone to that might be a craft beer lover to kind of just like go through that long list and try their
5: first, like, really nice I, nice I think glass. the fun part of that is, again, the, the whole brewery and distillery thing. If you go to any brewer, there's two things that they have in their they're having their home. And one is the 30-pack of something, whatever their local PBR, hams, what have you is. <laughs> guaranteed, it happens. And they have whiskey. And it might be scotch, it might be bourbon, it um, might be what have you. And so there's always people who are into craft beer, people who have showed up because there's 12 awesome beers on tap are just waiting to dive into that whiskey because they're looking for new flavors. They're looking for something new and bold and something to, to challenge them and their taste buds and what they find normal. Um and so you go into a lot of great a lot of great craft beer bars and they're gonna have a great whiskey selection. Um uh, Ginger Man Manhattan strikes out to me. Um now Jimmy's number forty three. Um and you're just talking about how do you get them from the beer to the whiskey. I think I think it's a natural progression. I think a
3: cocktail can be that bridge too, because I Quite honestly, I think of New York as a cocktail town, because I can get cocktails here that I can only get in a couple other cities in the entire country. Like it, it's, it's done so well here. So if you want to get people to move from beer, which uh, quite honestly, I don't think we need to move anyone away from beer. We need to get There's, them to drink the occasional cocktail. You Don't apologize. <laughs> yeah, well said. Uh, but put a really nice old-fashioned or Manhattan in their hand, and it's going to bridge them. It softens that whiskey. It makes it a little easier, and then they're, they can become a whiskey drinker.
2: Well, this is a great show, gentlemen. Thanks for joining me we got from New Holland Artisan Spirits, Rich Blair, Adam Dickerson, Dickerson yeah. Joe Stelmark, and Stephen Villan, our co-hosts tonight. Thanks so much for joining cheers me. the yeah. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, engineer Jack Inslee, and thanks for listening. Catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, yeah. All right.